BMG Partners and 1494 2AY presents The Journey Podcast. The stories you're about to hear are true. They shine a light on the events and incidents, known and unknown, that have shaped the lives of the Albury-Wodonga region's most intriguing personalities, local legends and unsung heroes. So sit back and enjoy. Hello there once again, Kev Poulton from 2AY, heading off on the journey. Thanks to BMG Partners, this time around with local filmmaker Helen Newman. And we start with her ties to the region. Well, I was born here, raised here. So, yeah, my connection is my parents built their first home here. And, yeah, one of five kids who grew up in North Albury. Went to St Anne's Primary School, followed by what was St Joseph's High School, and it changed to Xavier High School. Um, so that's that was the beginnings of my time here, yeah. Yeah, and so as you were going to school, was the film industry or, or, or that sort of artistic side something that shone through? Or what did you want to do? What yeah. were you thinking you'd become? Yeah, look, I, I had no idea. Um, I think... I was in a family that, you know, you worked hard, the work ethic was really there and you were a good citizen. And I think in terms of being an artist or a creative, that just wasn't even a word. However, we had a piano, an old piano that had been my nana's. So my mum worked really hard to raise the money for myself and my brother to get piano lessons. So I started piano at age eight and... um, turned out to be reasonably okay at it so I kept going with that and I think that was my creative outlet and so I'm not sure if there hadn't been a piano I might have found some other way but I think I always was a creative I just didn't know that and we didn't have that language in our family so I didn't yeah it took me a long time to work out who I was but yeah I studied piano until um, I got my associate diploma in music which I got a couple of years after I finished school so that was like you know studying from age eight Right through until I was 25, I think. Yeah. And so at what point did the filmmaker uh, thing come across your desk yeah. or the idea or the inspiration or what was the first thing that you recorded? Yeah. Well, that was a complete accident for which I am eternally grateful. So when I was, I had my third child on my hip, still breastfeeding, um, it was back in 1999. And the Kosovo refugees had come to Australia and a a large collection of them had been settled here in this area. And they had signed a waiver when they came, which a lot of them didn't understand, that they could only be in Australia in safe haven for 12 months. So the 12 months was up. They were going to be sent back to Kosovo. For some of them, it wasn't safe to go back. So I put on my protester hat, which I'd been flexing a little bit beforehand, weirdly, And um, I was out there with my best friend. She was pregnant. I had a baby. I was breastfeeding. We'd be out there with our placards going, you know, please don't send them home. I think for me at that point, I was, I guess I was being politicised in a different way. I was seeing a part of Australia that I wasn't proud of because I learned about our detention centre regime. So as someone who was making a noise about that... um, there was a filmmaker who come up from Melbourne and he started documenting that story and I was one of the people that he was following the story of. And at some point, you know, a few months down the track, I picked up the camera and I went, wow, this is, this makes sense to me. It fits with my, my creative side. It fits with my idea of giving voice to social justice. Um, so that was kind of how it began, weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. And so... 
I'm guessing what were you doing up until that point? Obviously, a busy mum of, of three. What had you been sort of known for to that point in career-wise? Um, so after I left school, I um, was accepted to study economics, and I did, that made no sense to me. I don't even know why I applied. Instead, I went and became a piano teacher. So I was a piano teacher for a few years. Um, I was... I got married quite young and we had a child. Well, I was pregnant with our child. And then my um, my husband died in a car accident while I was pregnant. So that, for me, was a turning point. That, I would say, was what shifted me sideways and gave me a much better connection to a broader view about what it means to be on this planet, I guess. And so from there, I continued piano teaching for a while, which was awesome as a single mum, new baby. And then I decided, stupidly, that I wanted more of a challenge. So I went and studied social welfare. And um, I worked um, as a crisis counsellor. I worked as court support for women escaping domestic violence. I worked as a community development worker. And all these things made sense to my slightly shifted worldview. But it was really hard. Um, So I... um, yeah, at some point I was going, this isn't really working for me. Anyway, I got pregnant, had a third baby, was kind of busy, and so I stopped with the community development work I'd been doing. What an interesting path. And I, I yeah. think the thing that you touched on there briefly, the, the grief and trauma, mm. I think anybody who's been through something substantial, their perspective on life completely shifts. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. I am not the same person. And I think you, I knew that day, you know, I knew that day that I would never be the same person again. I had to work out who I was going to be. Because you're given, and at such a young age, I was 21 as well, so at such a young age to be pregnant and widowed was, it meant you have to rethink how you work your life. And, and, and also, I think it's a, it is, the good thing from it is it demands that you think about your purpose. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I did with that experience. Yeah. yeah. And so we'll go back onto the filmmaking again. Yeah. So you've sort of, I guess, been the subject of a filmmaker. You've shown that oh, this could be me. You've gone and, and started to do it. What have you filmed over your 20-odd years of sort of entering into this realm? What what have you sort of uh, d- grabbed your attention or what have you wanted to stand for in your vi- filmmaking? Yeah, I think, I think the core of my work is that I want to give voice to people who don't have voice. Like that, if somebody said to me, what is it? That's the one thing I want to do. Um. With that that film that I mentioned with the Kosovars, it became a feature documentary that we got fully funded for. So I went from, you know, sort of like mum with three kids in Aubrey, really not knowing much outside that world. I hadn't travelled at all to um, working with an Emmy Award winning filmmaker that, to make a feature length documentary. And I ended up in Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan and all these places I didn't mean to be, but I think the core of it was I was following people's stories and I really wanted to honour the trust that they'd put in us and give them voice. Mm. And you mentioned that, uh, you know, we've talked about the grief and trauma can change your mindset. What about that international travel, that exposure yeah. to, to, I guess, a worldly view? Yeah, definitely changes Again, I, I guess how I see my place in the world. Um, it's a very humbling experience as well, and it definitely cuts through any arrogance around, you know, we're the best people in the world because 
I've never met hospitality like I've met when I've travelled in dangerous places. Um, you know, I've, I've got to know the nuances of other cultures so much better and I feel really privileged to have had that experience, yeah. That's great. So it's an art form, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It's something that I know takes a lot of time and is that once you're hooked into these sorts of arts, <laughs> you, you, you're passionate, you're locked in on it. But what do we find you doing with your spare time? Yeah, um, I do work a lot and um, the studio is at the back of my house so I can work a lot. Things I love to do, I, I think I really enjoy at the moment. I've just sort of gone, right, I want to spend some time in my garden. Mm-hmm. That's been kind of awesome. I have three kids, so um, they're all growing up now, but spending time with them is pretty awesome as well. Um, and I like camping and, um, yeah, walking, so swimming, love the river. I really consider that one of the best things about living in this town is the river, and I live really close to it. So, yeah, nothing outstanding, I guess. Yeah. It's the importance of fresh air, oh, I think. Yeah, and look, particularly, I've, I've guessed with this ne- this project I'm working on at the moment around staying well in yourself, not just physically but emotionally, mentally, um, that physical um, exercise, it's just so important, the fresh air. Yeah, we've been lucky. Let's give that a plug while okay. we're going. Let's talk about what's the project you're on <laughs> yeah, at the Yeah, so currently now I'm working on a feature doco called Solstice, the documentary, and the story centres around a local story of Annette and Stuart Baker who lost their daughter Mary to suicide when she was just 15. Mary had struggled with an eating disorder for three years before she took her life. Um, And so about two and a half years ago, I met with Annette and they wanted me to film this incredible event that they hold here each year, the winter solstice. And then along part of the talk was, do you think there's a documentary in this? I said yes, but I really for a year didn't really know what the story was I was telling it's so big you know was it youth suicide was it eating disorders was it Annette and Stewart was it what was it was it suicide generally um and I kept filming these people that Annette would bring to me she'd say you need to talk to this person you need to talk to that person and eventually I worked it out and I distilled it down and the voices that were always coming to the fore were people who had either lost someone to suicide or attempted to take their own life who are now working to change how we operate in our mental health space. So recognising the gaps in services, recognising how there's still a a stigma and a silence around suicide in particular, but also mental health. Mm. Um, So that's what the documentary is now about. It's about those voices and how they bravely step through their grief to, um, to create the change that they see is needed. And I think the theme for each of those people is they don't want anyone else to go through what they went through. Mm. It's almost back onto that trauma and grief thing yes, again, isn't yeah. it? In terms of uh, it takes something substantial and, and, and quite often quite horrible and emotional mm. to be able to potentially allow us to grow and, and, and I guess have that positive perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because I guess it's taken me a while to realise that a lot of the work I do is around grief and loss or people who have lost something um, I've done quite a bit of work with refugees um, as well and I was talking to the writer Arnold Zabel he tells always tells stories of migration and that's his childhood experience his parents migrated um, to Melbourne they they fled the Holocaust and um, we were talking about how in some ways what you're doing by telling these other stories is continually reworking your own thing that you need to work out and so for, for me I think it might it probably is grief and loss. Mm. 
Um, so how would other people describe you, do you think? <laughs> um, that's so tough. Passionate, I think, is one word they would use. Um, probably really annoying, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't like to let things go. I'm pretty, once I've committed to something, I'm pretty dedicated to it. So I, I guess that's something. That's a, yeah, it's, I guess it's a really tough one to know how other people see me. Yeah. Mm. A lot of people tend to have somebody that they admire they they watch the work of and go look if mm. i could be half of that person one day i'd be happy yeah who is that for you well i think um i'm really lucky my work puts me in the worlds of people who i admire so when i'm telling a story of someone i admire them and so i would say right now i have through working on solstice documentary i have developed such an admiration for people who get up each day whose world's been turned upside down, they get up each day, they walk through that grief and they bravely demand better or they they simply just get up, you know, and seeing the challenges of people who struggle with serious mental health issues. I think, um, so if I can say a collective people mm, I admire, yeah. I think it's the people that are, uh, that are facing those challenges and still stepping forward. You'd probably, through your line of work, as you said, meet interesting people mm. with really compelling stories to be told. You'd probably start to see some wisdom develop out of these stories and, and maybe quotes or, or filters that people put on their lives. What are some of the... Do you have some great ones that come to mind or ones that you've thought, I could use that in my situation? Is there any great quotes or, or I advice? D- I, yeah, I, I do have a quote that I use for me. It fits for me and it's an Anna's Nin quote and... It's life shrinks or expands in accordance to one's courage. And for me, that's been really important because sometimes I'm really, really scared. Like, you know, going to Iraq, I was really scared. I did not want to go. I felt sick. And so I think that quote, life shrinking or expanding according to your courage is really important to me. Wouldn't fit for everyone, but for me, it helps. Yeah. yeah. No, I can see how that, that's, a, that's one I haven't heard before and yeah. is quite a good one. Um, sliding door moments. Uh, in life have you had any of those or I'm sure it sounds like you would have (laughs) (laughs) yeah I guess there's been a few Um, I'm trying to think of some moments Um, definitely this just um, there's been lots Um, in a professional sense uh, I was in Afghanistan and we were it was just after the Taliban had fallen and we were filming the story of refugees trying that had been trying to get out of that country and um, I'm not sure if it's a sliding door moment. It was a it was a point where you just I guess you make that decision to walk away rather than challenge it. We'd been filming all day. We just had decided to do a day of visuals, so we we're in Kabul. We'd got the you know the fairy lights and this and that, and we'd accidentally filmed a U.S. facility that was behind black stuff. And so suddenly our car was surrounded, and there's Kalashnikovs in the window going, you know, you've got to give us your footage. I guess I really wanted to fight for that footage. I'm really glad I didn't fight for that footage. We lost it. <laughs> I'm not sure if there's a sliding door moment, but I, I guess it was, you know, a life or death moment maybe. It's a yeah. moment in time, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. A moment in time where you're, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the best thing that's ever happened to you? Uh, and this is going to be so obvious, but it really truly is my kids. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with my work, it's it touches me in a really deep way and it changes me, but there's nothing quite like 
your own children. They really like make you learn about who you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. They make you dig deeper into yourself to become that better person as well and teach you so much. They challenge you, don't oh, they? Oh, yeah. More than just the challenging <laughs> moments. They challenge you to yeah. think differently, yeah. to, to be more open with yeah. your mind. And, and, and you quite often see you know, some of the toughest people once they're in the presence of their own children, yep. a completely different person, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> and I think there's that thing too where if I disagree with someone who's not part of my world, it's easier to not engage with that. When it's my child, I really have to drill down inside myself mm. to find that connection and understanding and see it their way. So, yeah, that's yeah, they stretch me. And um, It probably leads to another good question around um, hindsight and, and, mm. and thinking of a younger you or maybe advice that you, you've given your own kids. What advice do you wish you had have had as a younger person? Um, I think um, probably I wish that I'd understood that you can stay true to yourself, to um, really be still and listen to the voice inside yourself and follow that and trust that it can happen. I think when I look back on my childhood, I say that I lacked imagination and I think I lacked imagination about what was possible. So I wish, yeah, I, I would not wish. I'm really happy with where I am. But yeah, I would like to have had that understanding sooner. Yeah. The ability to dream big and, and see yeah. where it takes you. Yeah. Um, I know this is the first journey for 2021. Yeah. And <laughs> we've all tried to come into the new year and be like, you know, it is a new year. We're resetting again. We're still really global pandemic touch, the, the aftermath yeah. that we felt for a long time yet. Let's talk about you personally, your industry, your family and friends. What what was living, and I'm sure even as a filmmaker, you've got some thoughts around this because I know me with my job in media, I'm like, we're living history at the moment. Yes. This is a moment in time yeah. that people will be interested to hear our views on in yeah. decades to come. Um, how's it impacted you the last 12 months? Um, so personally, I actually feel like I was quite lucky. I, I did lose all my work for a little while there. Yeah. That was horrid. But... Um, Again, living on the border, I could always go for a walk in the hills. I could always go and be by the river. So I feel personally I was quite lucky, except that I did lose all my work for a little yeah. while, and that was really scary. Um, I think professionally it actually changed the film I was making. So I thought that I had just about finished making Solstice, the story, and then when the fires happened, I went, there's a whole new chapter. The, the the fallout, the mental health fallout from those fires is going to be huge. And then COVID overlaid itself on that. So those communities couldn't pick themselves up. So it's professionally, it's changed my my main project that I am passionately working on and, and meant that I've had to really rethink how I tell that story. And sadly, the last chapter of the film now does involve... Um, the deaths of two young men who took their life following the fires and as a result of the the impact of COVID on their on their small communities. Um, and I know it's been life-changing. There's not I I think it's an interesting thing in that there are very few things that we experience as a global population. And I know we all experience this this um, pandemic differently, but we've all experienced it. And so I think at some level we all got some understanding of what it is to go through it and that for me is quite interesting because when I'm telling stories I'm trying to connect people who have no understanding to someone else's experience or very little understanding I think I'm hoping in some ways that this pandemic might create those connections and mm. that empathy it's that perspective isn't it 
you know, it's quite mm. easy to get caught up in our own country or even our own state issues and, yeah. and sit here and say, well, we've got to divide between our community with a border closure or something like that. Yeah. But, but if you stand right back from a view that perhaps you would traditionally take of that global sort of situation, you start to go, you know, if that's all we've got to complain about, we're pretty lucky, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we are very lucky. I'm very, very glad I don't live in the US right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. Um, so... With these journeys, we, we look at yeah the local connection. We mm-hmm. look at what you do. Why are you so passionate about... Oh, we're hearing a little bit in here, but why mm. are you so passionate about people that don't have a voice? Um, I, I, I guess when I was a kid, I just... I don't know. I don't know if you're wired that way. When I was little, um, I shared a bedroom with two sisters for a little while and then with just one sister and we'd sort of go, you know, what do you wish for in the world? And I'd so corny and kind of a bit tragic that I would always go, oh, I wish for world peace. <laughs> and it's it's a bit wanky really, but I really truly did. So I think I might have even just always had that consciousness at some level. I just never really understood until I was in my you know mid-20s how to express that or how to find a way to do that. So there's, I guess there's that. Um, and then definitely losing my first husband so suddenly did make me go, I've got to kind of make what I do worthwhile or, or for me make sense. Um, yeah, I'm really lucky that every day when I wake up, um, what I do makes sense to me. Yeah, you're very much in that community. So it's, it's community service what you're doing really, even though it's a profession. Mm-hmm. Um, it's helping tell stories. Um, I know you've got the documentary with Solstice and, mm-hmm. and that's all around mental health and the, the trials and tribulations and how can we change and what can we do. From all the people you've spoken to, what's the magic bit of advice? Like we're, we're hearing you know, mindfulness and all these different mm-hmm. bits and pieces, empathy, um, what we can do to try to improve our mental yeah. health. What do you see is working? That's a multi-layered question. I'm sorry, I can't give you a... But I will give you the multi-layered answer, which I've thought about a lot. Great. So to go at a personal level, I think it's really quite simple. It's be kind to one another. So that that requires us to allow another person the space to perhaps not be well that day, even though we don't know it, and to listen. Um, Are you okay day is great. It is really, really important that we talk to one another, we ask how one another is, and we also feel that if we're not well, we can say that we're not well as as well. That's great. All that layering at that that individual and community level, um, winter solstice, so communities getting together like winter solstice does, taking away that, that silence and fear that happens around mental illness, mm. challenging all that. That's great at that community level. When you get to a policy level, what we have here is a real gap in funding. So it's great if you can go, oh, you're not feeling well, well, you need to get some help. Open the door of needing to get some help and surprise, surprise, you can't get the right help. So that's the, the big gap I see in terms of that. We, we really need to change the way we fund and the way we create services around mental health. And throwing money, not throwing money, but putting money into campaigns is is the easy answer, but it's not going to deal with deep, serious mental illnesses. That's where you need really good professionals trained up. Mm. So, yeah, it's a multi-layered yeah. issue. And if- I think overlaying all that is like if we understood mental ill health the same way we understand cancer and we responded to it in the same way, so you wouldn't turn up in an emergency um, 
hospital and go, I've got cancer. And they go, oh, well, look, just come back because it's not bad enough yet. Mm. Or we can't fit you in. So, you know, we'll find you a bed in a couple of months' time. You don't do that with cancer. So the day that we can treat someone who has a mental illness the same way we treat someone who has cancer, oh, it's, it's bone cancer, we do this. It's breast cancer, we do that. In fact, it's this kind of breast cancer, we do this. Having that specialised support, that's when we'll have, we'll have done well. Is there a country in the world doing it well? Um, some do it better than others, definitely. And look, in some countries, you end up in, well, even here, sadly, a lot of people end up in prison as a result of not getting the right help. In some countries, yeah, you end up chained up to a bed somewhere. Um, we're definitely doing better than that. Um, I think Every country has a long way to go. And that goes back to that stigma and that fear and also the shame. You know, it was only a short while ago that people who took their life by, um, took their own life were not allowed to be buried in a graveyard. They had, had to be buried outside that sacrosanct ground. So we're unconsciously carrying all these, these stereotypes and these stigmas that we need to let go of so then we can fully embrace, just like there was a stigma around cancer at one point too. Mm. Once we get rid of that, then I think we can move forward and actually deal with the, the real issues. This documentary, two and a half <laughs> years from, from the first yeah. thought to, and you're still working on it now, yeah. it's going to be one heck of a thing for people to sit down and watch, I'm sure. It's, yeah, it's, it's big. I mean, that's the through line, and I didn't intend it to take this long either, but there you go. <laughs> Um, look, the first feature doc I worked on, I worked on for four years, and that's that's the reality of working as an independently funded filmmaker. So I underst- I knew it was I was in it for the long haul. I just didn't quite plan for it to be this long. But I think it's really important. Like I could have made a shorter story. I could have followed just Annette and Stuart's story in the winter solstice, which is an incredible story. But the conversations we need to have around mental health and suicide are bigger than one story and I don't want the conversations to be relegated to one story. I I want this to be a document that when someone watches it they go, oh wow, it's not just a sad thing that they lost their daughter or a sad thing that she's lost her husband. This is a problem across the globe. So um, yeah, and part of the story actually is in London with some people who are working over there as well. Yeah. Time for a little bit of fun, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. We, no, no, we we spoke we spoke earlier on in this interview um, about you know people you admire, yeah, and, and you sort of had a fairly collective response there. Yeah. A, a question I like to ask people is if you could have anyone over for dinner, you know, four or five people, or, you know, you put limitations <laughs> on it, and they're alive or dead, whoever, yeah. who, who would you like to have sitting there with you to pick the brain of or to bring to bring yeah. humour to your day, or what would it be? Well, okay, so it's probably not going to feel fun for you, but this would be the most amazing thing for me. If I could have my husband who died at the table with his daughter that he never met and with his mum, that for me, those three people would be the penultimate dinner for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Anyone famous? Do you have anyone famous there? Oh, yeah, so many people I admire. There's a, a, a there's a um Indian filmmaker who I really admire called Deepa Mehta. She's not really well known. She's made three films. She's made Earth, Air, Water, and they all look at the partitioning of India and Pakistan, and they are so beautiful. Every image is just so delicious. I'd love to sit with her and learn from her. Um, David Attenborough, because I would just love to actually marry him. I think he's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) And I love his gentleness and I love how he's managed to traverse such 
I think for him has been such a heartbreaking journey over the decades, watching the environment depleted, how he's done that with so much grace and wisdom and um, humanness. I Yeah, I definitely would love to have him there. And interestingly, when he joined Instagram, got a heap of followers, made a statement, and then he left Instagram again, I think. Yeah. Isn't, is that what happened with David? Yes, I think? yeah. <laughs> got in, had the impact <laughs> and moved on. Yeah, he's incredible. Um, so you're at that dinner table, sweet or savoury, which would you go oh, for? Oh, savoury, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm really not into sugar at all. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Ed, uh, Ed, I know we touched on it earlier, yeah, what do you do with your spare time, but weekends, what are they for? Um, well, at the moment, they're for filming Fruit Fly Circus endlessly. So I, I do a lot of stuff on the weekend. So I, I film theatre as well. So yeah. often on a weekend, I'll be doing a bit of filming. But other than that, um, it it can be anything. I mean, I really just love actually just catching up with friends as well. We're really mm. lucky in this community that we can connect easily. Um, and yeah, for me, camping. I really do love. It. I think because when I'm at home, I don't really stop. So to go camping means I can stop. And that's probably that home office trait coming yeah, back yeah. in when you've got it attached to your home, <laughs> yeah, and you know that's easy. where your studio you is. Duck in. You go, oh, I'll go into a bit more of that, and I'll come back, and distractions yeah. fly. Yeah. And um, Helen Newman, I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit here and go through the journey process, and uh, oh, really do you. wish you all the best as you wrap up that documentary. And please stay in touch with us and let us know as that gets wrapped Absolutely. up. And as I know we'll see and hear about it everywhere. You're very well respected in our community. But, yeah, really appreciate you taking time for the journey. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Journey. At BMG Partners, they enable people to achieve their dreams. And if listening to this conversation got you thinking about your journey and whether you're on track, they'd love to hear from you. Head to bmgpartners.com.au. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.